today we're going to look at chapter 8 is when he is dedicating the house of God. Dedicating the house of God. And there's a particular lesson that we're going to get from that. We're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to try to highlight some things and lead us through a core thought. And it's this, this is a kind of overview of the, the chapter is he's, he's dedicating the house of God. We'll describe that. And um, a specific principle here that we'll see, because he see that the house of God, when he's dedicating it, for what? Dedicating it for what? Well, they know that they're sacrificed, but in particular, Solomon constantly emphasizes when he dedicates the house of God to, in his prayer, he's constantly emphasizing that God would hear prayer in relation to the house of God. It's like the biggest, he didn't talk about any sacrifice, they sacrifice afterwards, but he doesn't say much about, you know, other things. It's all around prayer. So there's a principle here that it's an Old Testament and New Testament principle that the whole message is about, really, that prayer is one of the most valuable activity activities in the house of God. That's an Old Testament truth, and it's a New Testament truth, and we're basically going to kind of see that illustrated in, in this chapter, that it's uh, one of the most valuable activities. All right, so here we go, chapter 8. It says here, I'll just read verse 1, and then we're going to skip, and I'm going to read another section, and then we'll, in a, a little later, go through more. Chapter 8, verse 1, he had got the, the house of God's built. Then it says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Sion. So he gets this big group, representatives of the leaders in Israel, massive group of people. And he begins to, uh, they have sacrifice, and they also um, bring up the Ark. Look at verse 22, I just want to read right now verses 22 to 30. Solomon stood before the altar, and there's a big group. There's all the kind of representatives and heads of the, of the country there, and they're, it's exciting. It's a magnificent occasion. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel. This is outside. And spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, now he's beginning his prayer. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath, who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart, who has kept with thy servant David my father that thou promised him. Thou spakest also with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand as it is this day. Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David my father, that thou promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel, so that thy children take heed to their way, that they walk before me as thou, walk, as thou hast walked before me. And now, Lord God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified which thou spakest unto thy servant David my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, 
how much less this house that I have builded. Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, and that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer of thy servant. Hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place, and hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they shall pray toward this place. And hear thou in, thy, in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. And he goes on, and we're going we're gonna to break, we're going to read the rest of this in the rest of our time. This is a really neat, I like this chapter, really neat chapter. So here is an expensive place here, gold inside decorated. It might have been gold on the outside. I was trying to figure that out when I was studying earlier. We know it was definitely gold on the inside. But there's kind of a schematic of the house of God, the temple. And this is called a cross section where they're kind of taking out a little section of it so you can see the inside and different chambers. When I was um, in Tennessee, there was a, um, uh, the ministry there, Temple Baptist Church, it's actually in Powell. This is funny. I kept thinking, Temple Baptist Church, I'm going to go to Temple Baptist Church in Knoxville because Knoxville is kind of the bigger city and there's a few small ones, one's Powell. So I looked it up on my phone. I'm like, all right, I got to go to this conference, go to Temple Baptist. And I drive and I drive and the, the things direct me there. And I pull up. I'm like, man, there's nobody here. And this is a small place. What is this? And there was a gate that said Temple Baptist. I'm like, man, is there another Temple Baptist? Oh, yeah, there was. And I was in the wrong city. It was the city next to it. So I was late for the conference. It's the Temple Baptist in a different town, Powell. So I was late for that service. But anyways, this church, I like what they're doing. They're, they're trying to help church planners. They're sending out missionaries. They actually are starting camps. They have a camp in their own state called Camp Mariah. They started a camp in Texas, northern Texas. They're actually reaching out to some of the Native American, Native American uh, tribes in that area in north, north Texas. I think some of the tribes are in Oklahoma. And so they have a camp there in Texas. I actually talked to one of the directors. And then they have another camp in Montana. Montana is beautiful, especially in the summertime. And this camp in Montana, the pastor told us about, I don't know if I've told everybody, anybody this yet, but um, the pastor of the church, Clarence Sexton, a few years back was shown this property, and they said um, it was an opportunity to buy this property, to have a camp in this area. And so <clears throat> he went and saw it. He said, this place is beautiful, 120 acres, you know, night already had some facilities. It was an existing camp. And uh, he said, so at the conference, he told us, because they showed a little video of it, kind of what they do in the summertime, and that camp's kind of a ministry of this church, of the church in Tennessee, and they're going to use it as a launching pad to start churches also, independent churches out of that. But anyways, he said, this camp was a camp before we got it for rich kids. Well, for kid, children of wealthy parents, like movie stars and athletes and whatever, businessmen, and it was basically, it was only for kids whose, whose parents were famous would go there. Because you might not, if you were famous and you had, you don't want to throw your kid just at any place because people might, uh, you know, bother them. They might feel treated differently. So they had a camp 
looked like that. And it was, so it was pretty nice. And um, so that's who attended there. And it was pretty and everything. And Pastor Sexton said, we're able to buy the camp. He said, the camp, before we bought it, all these kids went there. It was $1,000 a week to go to camp there. Imagine that, guys. West Branch isn't worth $1,000 a week, is it? $1,000 a week. And he says, and they went bankrupt. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> Mismanagement. He says they went bankrupt. Then they came into their lap, and they purchased it, and they renamed it. Um, they called it The Passage, and it's kind of a throwback of uh, the Northwest Passage for, I think, Lewis and Clark expedition, you know. And so they're trying, to, they're trying to play on that concept in that region of, you know, a passage. We're trying to go from here to there. And the idea is they're trying to emphasize coming here is helping you find a passage to following God. And so it was good. I mean, I saw some highlights. But I like the fact that they take all this wealth, and I don't know what they bought it for, and it may, I don't even know if it's all paid for yet, but they take this existing wealth of property and land, they take this existing wealth that used for something else, and they, like we mentioned this morning, they dedicate it to God. And for the use of summer camp, family camp, junior camp, teen camp, and even as a hub, kind of a midway hub to help plant churches. So also Solomon takes the wealth in the mountains of stone and brass and gold and the wealth of knowledge of people who know how to square stones and the, uh, the man that knows, Hiram that knows how to forge uh, all sorts of brass and whoever maybe was his apprentices and the wealth of uh, people who know how to Deal with, deal with gold and, and carve and um, hew the timber. The, the Sidonians, of course, were very skilled in that and selecting and cutting and preparing and milling and whatever they do, making their planks and all that. He took all that wealth of skill and of substance and of material and that time and he brings it together and dedicates it for God's use, for God's glory. And that's what he's doing. He's taking that. And I'm just saying one of the aspects by which one of the main things and use he's dedicating, this is for you, Lord. And especially, he says, when we pray here, when we pray in this house or toward this house, hear, Lord, under this circumstance. Hear us, Lord, under this other type of circumstance. When we pray and honor you at this house and we come casting our pathetic self before you because we've messed up, then here, and he's asking God in connection to his house to hear their prayers under various circumstances. We're going to look at those circumstances. But let me back up a little bit. Again, right at this moment, this isn't, um, they may have already had all the stuff out, but again, he has all these people assembled. They bring the ark of God. I had another picture I wanted to show. I couldn't get it uploaded. They wanted to bring the ark of God, the, the priests bring the ark of God into the, into the temple, into the holy, holy places. Actually, those little, uh, what do they call the, 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 the rods or the poles they carried them on, they actually pulled them out. And they brought it into the house of God, and the priests had to get out of the house because God honored it with His presence. The glory of God filled the house. And then everybody was outside. The priests had to come outside. They just see God's honoring his house, he's honoring the, the ark that they uh, brought in. The ark was not an idol. The 
The ark was a, is a thing that contained something that God makes a big deal about, and that's His Word. There was the Ten Commandments. That was in there. And um, anyway, so they come out, and then Solomon, they start doing, there was sacrifice being done, but Solomon stands, and, he, and he, he blesses the people in this moment, and he says, look, look at this. God's uh, honoring, uh, God's already acknowledging that uh, we've, we've dedicated this house to Him, and and he blesses the people, and then he has some kind of platform. I don't know what it looked like, but we read part of it. He actually, the other chronicle says he actually was on his knees. Actually, at the end of this chapter, it says he was on his knees, and he prayed to God out loud. And this is a very thorough prayer. And again, the, the whole concept here is this, that prayer, we see the principle that prayer, we see, is the, one of the most valuable activities in the house of God. Now, before we go into this text, I'm just making a statement. I'm making a principle to you that I'm telling you you'll see here. But let's think about Jesus. What is it that Jesus may have done where that we see that that was true? Talk to me. I just said prayer is one of the most valuable things in the house of God. Did Jesus believe that? How do you know? Talk to me. The house is a house of prayer. Yeah? What, what happened? <laughs> he kicked everybody out. I think it. I don't know. This. I, oh yeah, man. He goes to the, all kinds of other activity. Not that there's wrong with business. Not that there's wrong with trading. But he goes into the house. And he's like, "What is this? This isn't what this is for." And he just begins to clean house. And his main statement was like, "It wasn't like you know, God's house should be a house of this or this or that." He says, "It is written, my house should be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves." And Jesus was zealous about that fact right there, that it should be a house of prayer. That's interesting. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, this is this is really neat. It's been good for me to study this. So Jesus said that. Before we get into the rest of this text, let's think about now. Jesus said this place should be a house of prayer. Of course, this was a different, he didn't see this temple in his flesh when he came. It was a different one, but nevertheless, it was still true. Which, by the way, that tells us something real quick. It doesn't matter how glorious our building is or glorious reassemble, it should still be true that prayer is a main function of us. It's interesting, there's a church here in Gilbert, and they got all excited about having this fancy prayer thing. And I, every time I drive by that, I don't see anybody praying. It's like, it doesn't matter if we have fancy facilities. We need to be engaged in it individually and collectively. And, and at minimum, what we're doing on Wednesday night is one thing. We should probably increase it. But anyways, I'm digressing. So, so Jesus said that, yeah, it's, this is a big function, is praying. All right? Um, and then think about the New Testament church, because it's a different institution. But there's, there's similarities here. You have the Old Testament temple house, the New Testament institution of the church, which is different, but it's got similarities. They're both called house of God. First Timothy 3.16, the house of God. It's the church of the living God, pillar and ground of truth. All right. But do you realize that when Jesus left and ascended, he told the disciples, just wait, wait for the Holy Spirit to come until you be endued with power on high. So what were they doing? They were praying. It was assembled together in Acts 1. 14, they all continue with one accord in prayer with the women also. The church was born in a prayer meeting. The church was in its embryonic state with Jesus. Those guys didn't know what they were doing. They didn't even know what church was. I have friends that think that, no, the church was in the Gospels, and that's when the church started. That was a lousy church in the Gospels. Bad. It's a really bad church. They didn't know Jesus was going to die on the cross kind of church. They didn't believe he'd be read. That's a bad church. 
No, it's an embryonic church. It's, it's being formed. They don't know anything yet. The church started at Pentecost when it's like, okay, all right, he rose from the dead. The covenant can start. The Bible says after the death of a testator, a covenant can start. And they have the Holy Spirit and they launch out. That's when the church starts. It's birthed in the context of a prayer meeting. Isn't that neat? I like that. So, all right, so now back to this text. Solomon's doing something. He's praying and he's saying, God, this, this place, hear us when we pray. He's saying, Lord, he goes like this, God, this is a great house, but, you know, I know you can't stay here. I know who can contain you. You can't be contained in heaven, how much less this place. And yet, look at the language there. Yet, verse 28, have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant. In other words, have respect to what I'm about to pray about this. And I'm about to pray for you to take heed to us in regards to prayer concerning this house. That's what he's saying. So let's look at, let's look at um, seven conditions when prayer is valuable to this house right here. And it's also a condition similar where we can say prayer is valuable for this house. We are his house, not so much the building. Wherever we are migrating, that's the house of God. But look at seven conditions when prayer is valuable activity in the house of God. Number one, sorting out judicial matters. Look at verse 31 and 32. He said, Lord, hear us under these different conditions. Verse 31, if any man trespass against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him and cause to cause him to swear and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear thou in heaven and do and judge thy servants, condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head and justifying the righteous to give to him to give him according to his righteousness. Now, I, I'm not understanding all of it, but the, the gist of that, that part condition is when there was a kind of a, a dispute between somebody or two guys and one says, no, he broke my stuff and there's really no witnesses there. No, I didn't break it. Somebody else. And they would take an oath and they would go into the, there was something that they did where they went to the house of God and it was like before God, there was some kind of ceremony to discern the truth. And he's saying, Solomon's saying, hey, Lord, when they come here and there's a, un, there's a judicial matter that's hard to sort out, hear us. We wanted to sort out judicial matters. Hear our prayer. That relates to us as a local church. Did you know in Acts, I'll reference some of this, maybe we'll read it. In Acts chapter 6, verses, first part of the chapter, the church is doing fine. And then they had needs of taking care of widows and stuff. And the, and the, uh, the, the, the leaders of the church there said, you know, we can't go down and do that all the time. So you all find seven men of honest report. I think it's talking about deacons. Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, whom we may appoint to this business because we're going to give ourselves continually to the Word of God and to prayer. And so they selected this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And when, even when they did that, they still prayed. They said, are these the guys? Are these the, the deacons we should have here? All right, Lord. And they set them before the Lord. Okay, Lord, this is, this is who we got here. And, and just, to, just to verify, God, here's the, here's the ones that we want to have to serve our church. By the way, we, we're going to need to have a couple more deacons, I think, by the end of January or February this next year in our church. And I think we have men that qualify. And so we'll need to pray about that. Lord, we can pray now. Lord, give us a couple more deacons to help uh, with uh, the work here. But that's what the house of God's for, sorting out things that I can't figure this out. I can't figure out what's right or wrong. Praying individually or praying together. That's what they did here. The house of God's a place of prayer when you're trying to sort out something. Number two, the house of God is a place of prayer when you're smitten before your enemies. Look at verse 33 and 34. We're going to go swiftly. He's saying, here's another condition, God. When Israel, thy people, be smitten down before thine enemy, because they have sinned against thee, 
and shall turn again to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. Here's another condition. Solomon's there praying, Lord, here's the house when we pray to you and because we have met, we came back from battle and we are all half the, half the army's gone and now we got a bunch of widows crying and kids without daddies and it's all because we've sinned because we're supposed to win. Israel was supposed to win their battles. When they were right with God, they were supposed to win their battles. And Lord, so when we come back to this house and we've, we've blown it and we're failures and we've, we've been smitten, but we confess our sin and we pray to you, then verse 34, hear us and forgive us and, and bring us again into the land and help us to get victory again. And that's exactly what God ended up doing. If you fall, there's moments, and I can't go to all of them, but there's moments in the historical record of Israel where they did some of that and it worked. Yep. We tried on ourselves. No, right, God, we blew it. We blew it. And, they, and God forgave them and helped them, and they'd go back to battle and, and get, the, get the, the, the military edge back. Acts 4.23 talks about a couple things. Uh, in the book of Acts, again, there's a lot of prayer. The book of Acts, this is not a moment of sin, but it's a moment of being afflicted. It said there that um, they had been harassed, Peter and John had been harassed and everything before their enemies, and the, the, the Jews, probably the Sanhedrin in this case. And it says that um, um, Acts 4, I put 23. I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm in the wrong page. Okay, here we go. Acts 4, 23. And, when, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they, this is the home church. So Peter and John were kind of harassed by their enemies. They come back. They come back to their home church. Their home church says, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice, verse 24, with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David had said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine the vain things? They're praying along the lines of scripture. And the kings, of, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel be determined before to be done. And now, verse 29, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by, thy, by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken. I mean, there was a tremor on the Richter scale. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and speak the word of God with boldness. So here's what I'm saying. The house of God in the Old Testament was for prayer when they're smitten by their enemies. In the New Testament, it'd still be similar, but in this case, Peter and John were smitten by their enemies, not for sin, though. And they come back to the church, and they tell the church, and the church says, let's all pray. And they all prayed. You know what they did? They prayed. They, they didn't say, Lord, help us to, to, to not have that happen again. Help us to, to just see if we can appease them and see if there's some way you know, the Bible does say live as much as possible with peace with them, but this wasn't going to happen here. They said, Lord, we remember this is exactly what your word said in Psalm 2. The heathen rage and they think they're big shots and you're going to laugh at them one day. So they said, Lord, grant that with all boldness we may lean into this thing and keep speaking your word 
And if they kill us, then they kill us. That's the, I, the concept there. And they prayed in that context. And God said, okay. And he gave them, he, he, the place they were filled with the Holy Spirit, God gave them boldness. It's incredible. That's what, that's what it was about. It's almost like, you know, it's not the end of the, I, it's easy to say this, but it's just a fact and I've never experienced it like they have. It's not the end of the world if we're persecuted. Sometimes it's good. It might be some of the best thing that can happen to somebody. And I know that it's hard to say that, but that's just biblically true, isn't it? So it drives us to prayer. It helps us take our Christianity seriously. So anyway, it's the house of God in the Old Testament. They go to God when they're smitten by their enemies. In the New Testament, they go to God when they're being harassed by their enemies. Number three, when is the house of the when is prayer at the house of the Lord so viable? Number three, when the rain's shut off. When the rain is shut off. Go back to 1 Kings 8, verse 35 and 36. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee. If they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn, turn from their sin when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people that thou, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give them rain upon thy land, which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. So you see that? They, now God's going God's to turn off the rain because, again, because of their national sin. And he's probably already thinking ahead of time, Lord, if you ever do that, you turn, you turn the faucet off up in heaven and we start praying, please answer us. Please answer us. And hear our prayer. And, and for the New Testament, there's times where it's just dry, right? For our life. It's dry for our church. It's dry for a lot of different things. God, there's no rain of blessings. Where's the showers at? And it could be because of our sin. I don't know. We do the same thing. God, where are you? You know, the, when a whole bunch of people got saved in the book of Acts 2, there was a prayer meeting before, and they, a bunch of people got saved, and it says, and they continued in prayer and supplication, and they continued to just stay connected with God for His blessings. But um, even nationally, in the history of our country is like when we've had long-term you know, droughts. People have gone to church prayed for that we need rain man I t- rain we're such at the mercy of god aren't we i mean right now we're in a third was a 30-year western drought you know, you see you're like what is this stuff you're seeing stuff under you know they're finding mafia murders in the bottom of some of these lakes you know at, in near vegas and stone hedges in some lake somewhere else like we didn't know there was an ancient tribe here because I mean, it's the drought it's like a drought that's happening in some of our country and what else can you do? Pray, not do a rain dance or anything, but a prayer. So Solomon says, Lord, when this happens, hear us in light of this house. Number four, um, when suffering from pestilence. Now, again, some of these things are similar. Verse 37, he's talking about God, hear us when we're suffering from pestilence and we pray. Verse 37, if there be in the land famine, which follows drought, if there be in the land famine... If there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locusts, or if there be caterpillar, and it's talking about a massive type of plague, or, or if the enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, 
What prayer, verse 38, and supplications soever may be made by any man or by all thy people, Israel. Again, an individual or a bunch, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart. Maybe there's a plague that's not mentioned here. It's an individual problem. The plague of his own heart. And he still come to you, this house and he spreads forth his hands towards this house. Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways whose heart thou knowest. For thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men that they may fear thee all the, thy, all the days that they live on the, in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. This is interesting what he says here. He's praying to God, God, here's your house. And when we come to you and there's been famine and pestilence and mildew and, and we've blown it. Or even if it's just an individual guy, the rest of the country's doing fine, and it's an individual guy that knows the plague of his own heart, then hear thou in heaven, if he humbles himself and prays, that he, they may fear thee. And that's how God is. Remember how, in a sense, the, you know, Hannah came to the house of God, her own individual issue, right? There's probably a national issue beyond her because it was like a strange for Eli to see somebody praying. What's wrong with this lady? God, she's just praying in the house of God. Seriously, he thinks she's drunk. But she came individually because of the famine in her life, so to speak. But he says, God, when people come with a real problem like that to this beautiful house, then hear them. Same thing with us today the house of God for today. Again, we're not putting up sacrifices. We're not trying to be fancy, but we're still God's house and prayer is a primary function. And so when, when our life is famine, when there's a famine in our congregation, when there's a famine in our um, just different ways in our life, we can come to God. We're suffering from pestilence. We're suffering maybe even, even nationally. You think about some of our problems like this is a this is a mess, you know. Our, our, the president we have, there's so many different... The biggest problem is his bad ideas. And, and so it's like, man, we got a messed up economy. So there's all kinds of things. Well, what's the thing to do? Well, it says in 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, I will therefore that prayer be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. So we, we should be the biggest support for any president right here. We're supporting him in prayer even if he's an atheist. I don't have to vote for them. I have to pray for them. And so do you. And so when there's a, we have a famine, we have, we're barren as a country or we're barren as individuals or barren as a, uh, as a church, we're, we have our own pestilences, then we come to the house of God. We come together as groups, small groups, to collectively and say, this is my problem. Can we pray about this? And that's what we're supposed to do. The house of God, what it was in the Old Testament, in that sense, it should be in the New Testament, at least on that subject. Number five, what else, what other's another, again, five of seven, what other is another viable instant when prayer is connected to the house of God? When, number five, the stranger is seeking him. The stranger is seeking the Lord. That does happen when God stirs up people. Look at verse 41 to 43. Moreover, concerning the stranger that is not of thy people, Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake, for they shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand and of thy outstretched arm. When he shall come and pray toward this house, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for that all the people of the earth, all the people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee and to do and, and, and as, as do thy people Israel, and that they may know 
that this house which I have built is called by thy name. I love this part. He's saying, Lord, so here we are, all the Israel, Israelis are allowed to go here. Of course, the priests get in here. But he says, if another person of any other place hears about you and he comes here and he's seeking you, answer him and let him know this is where God is. This is it right here. I like that. He said, because they are going to hear about you. They're going to hear about your great name. And that was why Israel was put on the earth, one of the reasons they put on the earth. And if they obeyed God, their light shined even brighter. And when they disobeyed God, it dimmed and they became a, you know, a bad testimony. But he says, they're going to hear and they're going to travel. I mean, the Ethiopian eunuch did by the New Testament time. There was other people who were proselytes of other nationalities that eventually came. The queen of Sheba shows up. I don't know if she ended up becoming a Christian. People will come. And Solomon says, if when they show up, God, let them see that you are the real deal. And if they pray to you that you're, you're the real thing. When a stranger seeks you, that's the Old Testament. Same thing here for the New Testament. Now, again, you know, nobody seeks God in and of themselves in the sense of, I, I was born, and I'm like, you know, I want to find God. No man seeks the Lord. There's none righteous, no, not one. It's God that stirs people. That's what I believe. I believe God stirs people and gives them a chance to respond to that and to have faith in that, in, in what they're hearing in the gospel. But, but uh, um, so the Bible talks about, this is something I was thinking about, Lydia. Remember Lydia? So, so when Paul was planning, was at the church of uh, Philippi? He goes and he goes to a river and there was him and one of his church planter partners and there was just some women at the river. And he talks with them. This is kind of a Jewish gathering. And uh, he begins to give the gospel. And the Bible says that Lydia believed because God had opened her heart. And she believed. And she, she uh, became part of that church. I think God does things. So just to be really practical among us, in my, in my time being the pastor, I'm like, I'm watching who's, I'm doing my best to witness. But a lot of times I'm like, who's God dealing with and stirring up? You know, sometimes people come through those doors right there because they've had problems, you know, and they're like, how do I go? And, and they come through here and they might look good and everything's all cool and they're dressed right and all this happy. I'm how you doing? Great, great, great. Yeah, sometimes they come here because they're seeking the Lord, either saved or lost, but especially the lost, they, they need to find something and they, and we do not. And so for us here, uh, we want to work with God on that, not hinder that. I'm going to paraphrase something Jesus said to the Pharisees in, in Matthew 23:13. He basically said, "You know, you're not you don't even you're not even going to the kingdom of God, you Pharisees and scribes, and you're hindering those who are trying to." I do not want to hinder somebody who's seeking the Lord, trying to come to the Lord. I don't care if they sit in your seat; let them do it. Please. In fact, they probably need to. In fact, I might tell them to. <laughs> so, do you see what I'm saying, though? A stranger, that's a precious thing. You know, there's this whole thing in contemporary Christianity, seeker-sensitive churches. I think it's sin-sensitive churches. There is, a, there is an aspect of being sensitive to, wait, somebody's seeking the Lord, but why? And I want to work with, I want to work with it only in the sense of, maybe God's dealing with them, and I want to work with God. The, probably the last several people I've got to lead to the Lord in the last five years, I already saw God dealing with that person outside of me 
And I just entered in onto God's labors. And that's what happens. I mean, that's what happened here. That's what would have happened and has happened. And same thing with us. And then it comes, they come here to pray. They want to see, I want to know the Lord. Well, the greatest prayer they can have is to trust Christ as Savior. So when a stranger seeks the Lord, um, prayer ought to be part of that. In our ministry, we want to pray for you. You got a problem? Yeah, I want to pray for you. I want to help you. The biggest thing is I want to show you how to seek the God of this house, not, the house, not just the house of God. All right, another valuable, another, uh, another scenario when prayer is valuable in the house of God is number six, when they're sent out to battle. Look at verse 44 and 45. Listen to what Solomon's praise. Lord, if we're going to battle, help us. He says, if thy people go out to battle against their enemy, whithersoever thou shalt send them, and shall pray unto the Lord toward the city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house that I have built for thy name, then hear thou in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. It's interesting how some of this is framed. They didn't always have to actually get on the premises. Okay? It was having respect to the house of God. Remember what Daniel did? He was way off in Babylon. And he purposely, in fact, he did it against the law. I'm going to pray toward Jerusalem. It wasn't an idolatrous thing. It was showing respect that God's house is there. If that's what he wants to honor, then I'm going to honor what he honors. And he prayed toward Jerusalem. And so Solomon's saying, hey, Lord, in another scenario, when, when he didn't say, hey, Lord, but Lord, in another scenario, uh, if we're getting ready to go out to battle and, they, and the Israelites are, are maybe a little bit southeast and they look south, they look northwest and they look towards and think of Jerusalem and they humble themselves and they pray and say, God, we've done all the preparation we can. We're going up against a, 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 a group of whatever. Ethiopians have outnumbered us. Oh, help us. We got to fight these guys. They're trying to invade the land you've given us and we have to stand up for it. He, Solomon says, when they do that and they sincerely pray toward your house, it's honoring the place where God puts his honor. He says, then hear thou and help them in, as they approach into that battle. And there's so many stories in the Old Testament about that, isn't there? Sometimes God let them go to battle and, and let them kind of win a traditional battle. Sometimes they went into battle and it's like, God, oh yeah, he just wiped out, Rusty was mentioned, 185,000 just got wiped out for you by one angel, you know. Different things where God would honor the prayer, a humble prayer that was in respect to his house. How's that work for us? In Acts 13.3, I'll describe it to you. In the New Testament, there's a church in Antioch, and I love this passage, but the Holy Spirit says, you know, I want Paul and Barnabas to be church planners. And so what they did was they fasted and prayed about that to confirm it, and then they prayed for him before they sent him out. Imagine if like our church, so think of a place there's hardly any, any missionaries. Uh, maybe like North Korea or something. I don't know. Let's just, say, uh, let's just say North Korea. I don't know how you'd get in there. And all of a sudden you have like a couple of guys in here that says, the Lord wants me to go to North Korea, Pastor. I know I'm not Oriental looking and I, don't, I need to learn some Korean. Imagine a couple of boys that said, the Lord wants us to go to, and there's evidence of it and all that. And they're like, yes. Oh. Then we'd be like, we're going to have a prayer meeting for these two guys. Yeah. You know, we're going to pray for them and God help them. We're going to pray together among, in his house, among his people, to be, as we send them off. And that's what Solomon's saying in the context of going to war. The New Testament shows that scenario about God's house before people launch out to some other thing. We prayed for people as they've launched out to, you know, maybe to move. Or we prayed for people when they've gone out into a ministry. And it's going out to battle. I need to equip myself 
in God's house, in prayer, honoring His place. I remember my grandma Morgan told me this. Maybe my mom would know more about this. My grandma Morgan grew up in upstate New York, and her dad had a farm, um, a large farm. It was kind of in a hilly area. I loved going back there. And um, the Bardens was the last name of my, my, mother's, grand, my mother's, mother's side. And um, Grandma Morgan told me down the road from their house was like a church somewhere. It was, I don't know what kind of church, you know. But there was a church, and Grandma said that during World War II, Grandma would, Grandma would have been probably a teenager, young teenager in World War II time. During World War II, she remembers that if there was anybody in the community, in that area, of, of uh, they lived in Candor. It may have not even just been the whole city. It may have just been that area of Candor. If there was anybody in that area that had a son that was going to be shipped off, they would meet at that church. And people would come, neighbors and people would come show up at that church. Hey, so-and-so's getting shipped off. They'd all meet there. They'd gather around, pray for the guy. The pastor would probably do something. They'd send him off. They'd pray and launch him from the church. And then when he came back, if he came back, ding, 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 they'd ring the bell. They rang the bell of that church and said he's back, and they'd come back and celebrate that and say thank you. I mean, that, that's the gist of what she, she shared with me. I thought, that's really neat. I mean, that's a, that's a neat thing. And so, you know, a part of our church is, is, should be like that too, is, is that, hey, if somebody's really launching out into something, we, we, I want to know about it, by the way. And, and we'll make a big deal of it, you know, provide it be good. You know, we'll pray about it. You're going to launch out. And then everything, continue in prayer, the Bible says, and, uh, and, 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 and praying always with all prayer and supplication, it says. And that's how we need to be. So the house of God, Solomon said, this is your house, Lord. And when we're, people are in battle, they pray toward this place, honor that. That's what he does. Last of all, number seven, when suffering captivity. When suffering captivity. Look at verse 40. This is a lengthy description and it's because it really did happen to them. All right, so verse 46, If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, so that they carry them away captives unto the land of thine enemy, far or near, yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whither they were carried captive and captives and repent and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captive, saying, We have sinned! And done perversely, we have committed wickedness, and so returned unto thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and pray unto thee toward the, to their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven. Thy dwelling place and maintain their cause and forgive thy people that have sinned against thee and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee and give them compassion before them who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them for they be thy people and thine inheritance which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron. And I'll stop right there. This happened a couple, I mean, I've seen a few snapshots in scripture where this happened. Can anybody think of one in particular? Nehemiah, go ahead. Daniel. Daniel, in a sense, did that. He didn't get let out, but he did pray and he confessed. Yeah, that's right. he, I'm like, Daniel, I don't see you doing any sins. Well, he had sins, apparently. He confessed how bad they were in 
his, I don't know what age he was at the time, but in his scenario. But I think of Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah is serving with his Artaxerxes or one of these guys. He's a cupbearer, and he hears about how plundered it is in Jerusalem, and he just breaks down, and he's crying. And, he pray, and what he does, he prays to God, God, we blew it. That's why we're here. We're not even supposed to be here. We're supposed to be in your land. We've, I, he says, both I, Nehemiah says, and my, Nehemiah seems like a pretty good guy. I and my father's house have sinned and done this great weakness in thy sight. And he basically says, God, I want to go back. Would you grant me favor in the eyes of this guy right here, this world leader? Who's, I got to test all his food. Would you grant me favor in his sight so that I could go back? Nehemiah was basically repenting and crying and praying in, re, in respect to God's house and in respect to God's city that he could go back and begin to help restore that place. And God heard him. He turned around and eventually he has this favor with the he has favor with the king. He's like, "What do you want? Oh, you want some? Oh, you want? I'll let you go. You want some supplies? You want?" And and it was like God gave him compassion. Like it says, "Grant us compassion before them." God gave him compassion in the eyes of that leader. And um, when he was suffering captivity, he gave him favor. Now in the New Testament, you don't see it an exact equivalent, but you see a different type of captivity. Just as a quick example. Acts 12, verse 5, it wasn't because of sin, but Peter, remember Peter was going to, I think it was Herod took Peter, he wanted to cut his head off, and he retained him in prison. Peter was kept in prison. He was in captivity. But then the Bible says, but prayer was made, uh, I'm paraphrasing, of the church of God without ceasing for him. So Peter is contained. And what happens? Not the temple, but the house of God, the New Testament house of God says, we got to pray for Peter. And you know the funny story. You know, they're praying for Peter to get out, and God ends up waking up Peter from the angel and opening up the different, uh, different levels of the prison. And Peter's like, well, am I awake, you know, like this? And finally gets out and goes to the prayer meeting and knocks on the door, and this teenage girl doesn't even, oh, it's Peter. She, she's gonna, she didn't even open the door for him. She's all excited, it's Peter. Hey, Peter, Peter's out of prison. No, he's not out of prison. We're praying for him to get out of prison. No, he's out of And then she goes back, and, and so she ends up, you know, he ends up coming in and joining in, and like, he really is out of prison. I was always encouraged by that story because of this one reason. They're praying with faith, but they're still lacking faith, right? They don't believe he's out. We're praying for him to be out. No, he's not out because we're praying for him to be out. He's out already, you know? And they didn't, so that was really cool. So that, that was amazing. God honored that, though. And he purposely said prayer was made for that. And he answered imperfect prayers. <laughs> so, boy, what, a, what an amazing thing. You know, there was, a, there was, a, I, I, there was another... Um, I was reading something. It was from this article I showed you today about these Afghani Christians. There was a... Um, there was in some place in the Middle East where there's Muslims, there was this family there struggling. There was like somebody with some demon possession of um, a girl or somebody. And this person was saying, people were saying, well, go to the Iman. Iman's like a Muslim teacher, pastor. Go. And he couldn't do anything. Go to this other person. He couldn't do anything. And, they, and then finally in this Muslim community, they said, go, there's a church. Go to that church. Take her, this person with a demonic thing to, and they took him to this church and it wasn't like one pastor it was a, a, a group of people among the church which in the church that probably included the pastor that dealt with this person with demonic possession 
And it was somehow, I don't get all the juicy details, but somehow that person was delivered. They were exercised of that. They said, we can't you go to the church, go to that place. And it worked. God honored that. Now, I'm not looking forward to one of those, but to be quite honest, where else? People, I think there's demonic activity that's kind of trying to stay cloaked in something else. And we may have to deal with that. Where else? I don't think there's a doctor that can deal with that properly without drugging up somebody. When suffering captivity, he says, Lord, if they pray and they're way out yonder and they look toward this place and they, they, they humble themselves and they're contrite, then hear their prayer and at least give them compassion for those enemies. And the same thing with us. When people, you know, we'll try to wind this down here, but look, people look at a church, there's still kind of a common American mindset. It's probably worldwide to a certain extent where people are like, if you've come to the end of your rope, go to a church. You know, there's still that mindset. And we should think, you know, people might find themselves in captivity of a different sort. I'm captive to drugs. I would like to one day have some kind of re- drug addiction recovery program if we could. I would like to have that for, for the sake of it's more common than ever. And it's, I don't see it changing. People are captive to that. I would rather they come here if we can, you know, tool ourselves up, so to speak, spiritually, to help people like that, to help see them recovered from that. Druggies, addicts, things like that. I would love to be able to help to that extent. Where else? I mean, there's secular angles that sometimes people find help with, but why not in the house of God where God says, my honor shall be there. I um, here it is right there. Honor your uh, Lord. Honor the prayer that's made in this house. Look what it says there, verse sixty-two. The king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Offered Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, and he offered unto the Lord two and twenty thousand oxen. Boy, that's a lot, and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king. And all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. It was assigned for God's glory, for God's purpose, in particular, the sacrifices, yes, but in particular, when they are praying toward that place. You know, the, there, you, you probably know who I'm talking about, but there was uh, one of the persons, I've, a couple I've dealt with, is they said um, recently, I've been trying to help a couple, and... Um, with a couple things, and they said, um, you know, they said uh, to me, they're telling me kind of some journey they've been through in this last year, and I'm trying to help them take proper next steps. And they said, you know, we went through this, we went through that, we went through this, and, and he said, he, he turned, and he said, probably the best thing that's happened to us is coming to this church. That's probably been the most helpful thing. That's what he said for this year. It's probably been the most helpful thing. And I was like, oh, I don't want to ever hinder that. I don't want to hinder that. I want to see that enhanced. I don't want to let, you know, a spirit of a helpful spirit by us cease. A prayerful congregation cease. It needs to probably crank up because of this message and because of how I see it shadow in the Old Testament and that it definitely should be part of the New Testament. We need to keep that going. Let God's house still be a house of prayer.